This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I am your host, Ryan Key. And I am your fill-in host again? You're a reg. Yeah. I'm a reg. <laughs> you also have to say your name, though. Oh, true. Yeah, that's right. I am not Nick Gambarian because Nick is doing something with his couch involving cat pee, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I am your other host, Mike Forrester of Hondo Supply. Thank you for having me, guys. It's wonderful. I don't have a cat. I don't have to worry about these kind of things. We don't usually work with regs. I want to apologize for two things. One, uh, I'm going to be a little roomy this week because I'm sitting in my living room. And the reason for that is because my recording studio is occupied by my dear friend, Ryan Mendez, friend of the pod. Ripping back there. Guitarist from Yellow Card. We are uh, finishing up an album we've been working on together for about four years now. And we're in the home stretch, like that final 72 hour, you don't sleep, you just keep going and keep recording. So if in the background of the recording, you hear the same exact melody <laughs> 1000 times tonight on the pod, that's why, because he's in there working. So I apologize for the echoiness and also for the repetitive 10 seconds of music over and over and over and over in the background. It honestly makes the edit easier. If you play something different, that's going to f*** me up. So tell him, keep rolling that. Okay. Okay. Just keep it on loop. <laughs> Roll <laughs> Oh, dude, we had this, we had this uh, assistant director who used to work for uh, Joe Hahn, mm-hmm. who um, was just like hella Italian New Yorker. And he would call action and cut for the director so when he would call action, you know, he'd first call off, you know, roll sound, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But instead of saying roll film, roll sound, sync, whatever, he'd go, roll the thing. Uh, yeah, roll, and you roll the thing. <laughs> Every time. I'm, I'm watching Peaky Blinders for the 400th time right now because Ryan's never seen it. And we're on season four. So I'm just imagining Luca Changretta going, roll, roll the thing. Roll the thing. <laughs> and that's uh, it's, uh, action. We do action now. <laughs> With the match stick in his mouth. Nice. Yeah. Roll the thing. All right, let's talk about Star Wars. I'm uh, appropriately dressed. You're looking good. It's October, so coming up on Halloween. Got my little Jedi tunic on right now. Breaking it in for next year. I should have just put on my robe and had the hood down here. Always so dark, you. It's looking good. I mean, Getting ready for the Star Cruiser. Yeah. Looking good, man. Trying to dial it in. Trying to get it, you know, a little like naturally weathered too, just by wearing it. I'm having so much fun telling everyone I come across about the Star Cruiser and watching them all be like, oh, cool, bro. <laughs> it's like uh, when Lorraine, after uh, the enchantment, after M- Marty plays Johnny B. Good, and she comes back and goes, Marty, that was very interesting music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone's like, that, what, 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 is, what is that? I don't know what so, that is. I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you guys are going to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> on, you, on your Star you and your Wars pals are going, to, going for a sleepover. Your Wendy's. You and your Wendy's. 
All right, let's get back to, and I guess wrap up, Star Wars What If. Cool. This is part four. We're talking about the sequel trilogy. There's a lot here. Let's get in it. So there, there's some stuff that we'll talk about off the top in terms of what George Lucas has said about his sequel trilogy that he had planned in some capacity. He said a lot, but there's no like, you know, there's no leaked script, but there's quite a bit said. I imagine there's some legal documents preventing yeah. such things. Yeah. <laughs> when you sign a $4 billion <laughs> sale of or deed of sale or whatever the right term is. There must be something you have to sign that says, also, you ain't saying shit. Right. So if you're reading this, there's a camera on you with a machine gun attached to it. <laughs> yeah. Luca Changreta's coming to your house to pick up those scripts soon. <laughs> George, give me the scripts. Give me the scripts. A Peaky Blinders podcast. Yeah, there you go. Nice, Mike. See, you belong here. Hey, you know what to say. You know what to do. I've heard, I've heard this podcast before, I think. So a lot of what he has said talks about the first film, but also lays out what the whole trilogy would have been. So we'll talk about that a little bit here in this discussion of The Force Awakens, and we'll probably mention a thing or two in the others, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Colin Trevorrow episode 9 script. But if you want the full breakdown of that, we actually did do an episode that broke down the whole thing early on, like a year and a half ago, episode number 4. So you can go back and listen to the whole thing. We were just a little baby podcast. Little babies. Isn't that crazy? We did that in the fourth episode. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Speaking of, though, before we get started, I want to say, if you listen to this podcast, if you've been listening this whole time and you enjoy it, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod is where you can go to support us. And it really, like, truly, truly does help pay the bills. Keeps the lightsabers on, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. For three bucks a month, you can get access to the Discord and be part of this community, which is actually really fun. Just, you know, folks talking Star Wars with friends who kind of are on the same page. You know, you, you don't always have those Star Wars fans, number one, that are in as deep as you. And number two, you can relate to on something specific like, yeah, I listen to that podcast too. And I know those guys' bands and all this kind of crap. So it's great. We interact quite a bit on it. Hang out with us. Patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. Do it. All right. Let's talk about what if George Lucas's stories had made their way into episodes seven, eight, and nine, the sequel trilogy. So Lucas apparently had treatments ready to go before selling in 2012. He had an outline of some kind, enough that he handed this off to Kathleen Kennedy and I would assume J.J. Abrams. He talks about how he had to consider the time it took him to make the prequels on his own. Yeah. His age at that time and to think, am I go- I'm going to be doing this until basically the end of life yeah <laughs> like, yeah until hospice yeah and so he, there's a quote some quote about I, I decided to hand it off and spend time with my daughter instead right pretty legit yeah and it's also acknowledging the fact that when he tried to hand it off before while it was still his company with episodes five and six he was still on set every single day so he felt like the only thing to do was fully sell the company just here are my ideas run with it yep didn't turn out the way he wanted necessarily. There's been some... It would seem not. Some some quotes <laughs> to indicate that. But nonetheless, we, we have some information on what his intentions were. There's a great pair of books, maybe there'll be a third at some point, I assume, called the Star Wars Archives. There's an original trilogy version. It's a giant book. It's like a big coffee table book written by Paul Duncan. The I think, the, I think it's in the prequels, yeah, 99 to 2005 volume of it, where... They actually quote Lucas quite a bit, and I'll read some of these quotes here. He had written enough that he was already talking to the actors. We're assuming Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford. And supposedly these stories spanned decades. There's no defined time period specifically 
but he did indicate that it would have started a few years after Return of the Jedi. So pretty quickly, who knows how that would have panned out with, I mean, we're just now getting to the point where de-aging is kind of workable. Oh, you mean like the timeline of when he would have started filming it, it, it would have been tricky to line up. Yeah, if he would have started this like even 10 years after Return of the Jedi, there would be some de-aging yeah. necessary. So yeah. who knows there? The focus would be on rebuilding the galaxy after the war, essentially, and Luke trying to rebuild a new Jedi order. Quote, Lucas said, it starts a few years after Return of the Jedi. We established pretty quickly that there's this underworld where there are these offshoot stormtroopers who started their own planets. I don't know how you start a planet. And that Luke is trying to restart the Jedi. He puts the word out, Luke. So out of like 100,000 Jedi, maybe 50 or 100 are left. The Jedi have to grow again from scratch. So Luke has to find two and three-year-olds and train them. It'll be 20 years before you have a new generation of Jedi. So that right there indicates he's, he's really stretching it out. Unlike, I mean, I guess, aside from the jump from episode one to two, the three existing trilogies happen within like a couple years each. You know, so much different vibe. This is already problematic to me. I mean, to think about his focus in any way being, you know, Mark Hamill at whatever age, playing Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker, training a bunch of three-year-olds. Like, we already know through viewing his thematic change, his directorial style in the prequels, what that might have looked like. And I don't think that... I, for one, would have been much of a fan of that idea. What if he... Finding the 50 to 100 remaining Jedi and banding together, like... Is cool. There we go. Yeah. But he deliberately talks about he Luke has to find two and three-year-olds. Like, As someone who recently had a three-year-old, who's now a five-year-old, <laughs> yeah. uh, not much training goes on. Right, right. <laughs> um, more like surviving with... Uh, yeah. So maybe that could have been a fun Disney Plus series. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Lucasfilm Plus. Yeah. There we go. But this seems to be like kind of, who knows if we're going to get anything that immediately follows the finale, the season two finale of The Mandalorian, but that's exactly kind of what's going on right there. Yeah. And we know so, how much they've pulled from things like this. Yeah. Filoni and now Favreau have pulled from these old ideas, old artwork, all this kind of stuff. So, I mean... Yes, species age differently and he's 50 years old, but he's a toddler, right? That's the yeah. idea. The Grogu's a toddler. So it's like, that's not a stretch at all to think, well, remember Lucas literally said Luke is rounding up two and three-year-olds to train them. So let's throw him a bone and yeah. we'll just make that happen. And there it is. It happened. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I just I just wouldn't want to see the like Revenge of the Sith Jedi Academy style, like large swaths of film where we're focusing on Luke teaching classes to these little kids that's just not yeah everyone in unison swiping the and, and stick, i'm worried yeah. that like that would like i'm worried <laughs> that that might have been a, a part of it and and i only say that because because the phantom minutes like i just think you know the the odds of that story like leaning into some maybe not a two or three year old obviously but leaning into like a little kid that luke takes under his wing and like that's what we're watching again just like we did it's it, i i think sure. that's probably like not a, a stretch to think that that could have happened based on yeah. that quote. You know what I'm saying? But I do have a vision, a picture in my head, a picture of this, <laughs> the flux capacitor. This is what makes time travel possible. No, just one image in my head of a bunch of kids just not swiping lightsabers with little helmets on, 
but I'm imagining someone imagining someone like J.J. Abrams directing, or I don't know, pick another badass director right now. And the kids are just, you know, it's just close-ups of their faces, concentrating really hard. Just like one little moment, you know? I guess I'm more referring to if this hadn't been handed off. Right, yeah. I'm referring to like this idea being before there was a handoff that he was just going to make these movies himself just like he did, you know, Buck Stops With Me. I'm the executive producer, producer, and director, and writer. Yeah. That situation. I, I mean, I think handing off the idea and letting someone else interpret what you mean by Luke has to find and train kids is... Totally different than leaving it up to him to do. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think that's the most intriguing what if. Mm -hmm. After the prequels and the backlash, how he would have handled that dynamic of handing it off. Would he have looked at the original trilogy? Would he have looked at his relationship with Kirshner and said, okay, I need to recreate that for this. And what could that have been like, you know? Mm -hmm. Because that's, I mean, that's basically what happened with the Clone Wars in a way. George was directly involved all the time, but it... You know, it's someone like Filoni coming in and being a partner, the kind of partner that he didn't have in the prequels that I feel like made the Clone Wars so great. Not just that these were good stories, but it's you take the the maker, the creator himself, and then partner him with someone younger and you get the greatness that we see in the Clone Wars, you know, so it's exciting to think about. Most, most of it. I think the other thing that we have to look at, too, is you have someone like Filoni who probably helped steer George from... Just like I think we all know people in our lives that we work with creatively, that when they seem stuck on an idea that you know isn't that great, uh, you kind of help them figure out why the idea doesn't work. Yeah. It kind of sounds like that's what happened in the prequels was there were not a lot of people that wanted to check George Lucas about a Star Wars thing. Yep. Right? Yeah. 100%. I mean, I could, to- I could totally, yeah, I could totally see it. So I think if you look at the Clone Wars as a success, which it was, there are arcs that were totally filler for fulfilling a network contract. Right. Um, and making movies is a lot different than long form storytelling and TV shows. So I'm with you, Ryan. I feel like if we're, if, if the 10 years of going from revenge of the Sith to kicking off this movie, how would Lucas have felt different? How did he feel about the reception after the prequels were kind of panned? Yeah, he was um, bummed, dude. He was very yeah, bummed. But if yeah, he had, but if you know. he had like dug his heels in and not been open to, you know, I wouldn't have. I don't think I would have wanted to sit through another three movies of no one filling the role that Mike is talking about alongside right. him to make those movies again. Yeah, we'll never know. Right. But you know, yeah, yeah. it's. I I think it's totally a fifty fifty thing. It could have literally. Yeah. He could have either totally dug his heels in and been like, nope, these they're my movies, or been you know receptive to the criticism and not let it tear him up and and like realized what worked so well about the team the first time around. So I, right. it could have gone either way, I think. Dude, what if, though? Here's the biggest what if. This is a what if episode. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. But this one, what if he would have done these on his own and he would have said, no, I will be a writer in the story sense. We'll hire writers. It could be a, a writer's room, just like the series, if need be. I will produce. I'll be there on set. But Filoni, you're directing everything. Like, what if Filoni, what if his first live action directing gig was episode seven? That could have happened. Yeah, you know for sure. And with Lucas there, you know, partnering with him, just like he did in the animated stuff, that could have been cool, maybe. Well, I mean, the show had already started, right? So at least some version of the team. Yeah, we had six seasons by then, right? Right, yeah. So like whether he's the director, I mean, at least he, it could have definitely been pulled from the team. Like, hey, guys, let's, we're going to make a movie. 
You know, who knows yeah. what, whose role would have been what. But. And we get, well, we're about to get into stuff that's directly relevant to that. So quickly, uh, this would have been inspired by the Iraq war. So again, Star Wars has been political since day one. What? The original Star Wars was about Vietnam. I'm going to quit listening to this podcast. <laughs> so political. Too much politics. God, disgusting. I, I read that review to Ryan today, and I, I was, re- again, reminded how amusing it is that he made it to episode 64. <laughs> and that was it. I've had enough. I've had it up to here. <laughs> I'm done. Hey, he wrote a letter to the manager, so he got it, you know, mm-hmm. he had the last laugh. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so here's the quote from Lucas. He says, Okay, you fought the war. You killed everybody. (laughs) Now what are you going to do? Rebuilding afterwards is harder than starting a rebellion or fighting a war. When you win the war and you disband the opposing army, what do they do? The stormtroopers would be like Saddam Hussein's Ba'athist fighters that joined ISIS and kept on fighting. The stormtroopers refuse to give up when the Republic win. All right. I feel like we're seeing that in the Mandalorian where they're, they're taking cues from this. Here it is. It's happening. That makes me think even more that that's what this is. is that's all these quotes are on record and they're straight up going, yeah. let's throw him a bone. Let's let his version of the story exist in some way. He goes on to say, there's a power vacuum. So gangsters like the huts are taking advantage of the situation and there's chaos. The key person, here we go. The key person is Darth Maul, yes. who had been resurrected in the Clone Wars cartoons. He brings all the gangs together. Maul's very old and we have two versions of him. One with a set of cybernetic legs like a spider, and then later on he has metal legs, and he was a little bit bigger, more of a superhero. So this is exactly what we saw in the Clone Wars. So I wonder when this quote was taken from, or if he was just kind of recapping, like, yeah, we did this in the Clone Wars, but what season, I don't know. What season is, is Maul's reveal? Uh, four? I thought it was three. And the show started in 08? Yeah. And he gets... He well, sold... Ta- I mean, dude, he sold in 2012. I think this is all before that happened in the show. And then it did. he didn't get to make his movies and he put it in the show. Because if, mm. if he sold in 2012, that, that's right when the mall thing was happening on the Clone Wars. And they were talking about... They were having conversations well in advance, obviously. 100%. So Yeah, that deal didn't close in a, in a week. Right. <laughs> he didn't go to the car dealership and <laughs> write your $4 billion check. Where do I sign? <laughs> it was season five. Uh, Savage finds him in season five. Well, well, there you go. I mean, that for sure. Then this that yeah, this was all going to be in in a movie, and he they just put it in the show instead because he was like, "Can you imagine?" That was me putting my middle finger up. If you're not a patron and watching <laughs> this and making a childish sound with my mouth at the same time, <laughs> can you imagine those scenes, uh, those Sam Witwer performances, all that like screaming Kenobi shit in live action? Yes, I can. Dude, anything even remotely approaching that would be the coolest shit I've ever seen on screen. Yep. (laughs) I'm just imagining. I was expecting Lucas. Why are you here? J.J. Abrams like, I'm going to direct your movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in this version, in this treatment, Maul essentially becomes, you know, just like we ended season seven with you know where he he's rounding up all of the crime lords who would become crimson dawn that's basically like the premise of the villainous presence in in this trilogy it's sort of like jabba but in the original trilogy but but more present in the story yeah central to the whole yeah. dark side yeah so he's the puppet master just like sidious and he has an apprentice named darth talon it's a female zabra no it's a female twilight with the same kind of tattoos like the Zabraks have. She was in a comic. He would have brought this 
from Legends into the live action trilogy. And she would basically like serve the Vader role sort of with Maul just being on, on the throne again, going back to Clone Wars, how he literally assumes a throne and he's kind of orchestrating a bunch of shit. Crimson Dawn is fully a part of this whole thing. And then on the Jedi side, it's the grandkids of Anakin. That's really the focus here. So they're teenagers-ish. There's not like an exact clear indication, but in the book, The Art of the Force Awakens, one of the characters, a Jedi named Kira, K-I-R-A in this case, is described as a loner, a hothead, gearheaded badass. (laughs) So very Ray-like, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, another character, a teenager referred to as Sam, appears mostly depicted with a blaster, probably not a Jedi, just, you know, somebody else in the crew. That's a male character. And then they eventually, they, they took these ideas, Kira and Sam, and morphed them into Ray and Finn and kind of rolled with those ideas to some degree. And according to Pablo Hidalgo's Fascinating Facts, I don't know what book this is in, maybe it's in the same one, there were also plans to introduce a Ray-like character in the form of a 14-year-old Force-sensitive girl originally named Taryn, T-A-R-Y-N. There's even indications in the storyline of Taryn trying to find a missing Luke Skywalker, just like The Force Awakens. But th- this is maybe kind of hearsay, or I mean, it could just be one of those things where Luke has just told different people different ideas at different times, yeah. but that doesn't exactly line up with other plans that Lucas had for Luke. Doesn't exactly line up with preschool plans. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's like everything. And we're going to do a full-blown episode on this idea that Lucas made all of it up as he went along. He mm-hmm. had a ton of ideas, but he is, it's like he had a giant box of Legos that he made himself. Like, these are the parts I'm going to use. I'm going to probably going to use some parts that look kind of like this, but I'll also just find some shit and pull it out of thin air in the future. And that's how he wrote these stories. He didn't have everything planned at all mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. any of the films. And this is just in line with that kind of workflow that he's been using since the 70s. I think the difference in being like, I don't know, a George R.R. R. Martin style writer, like for Game of Thrones, that who knows how much he has planned or had planned, but it seems pretty, if you read the books too, I mean, there's only a couple of little storylines that you're like, where did that go? Yeah. For the most part, it seems like he had a whiteboard that was the size of a stadium and had it all sort of, you know? Yeah. The difference in that is he set out like, okay, I'm going to write the, a, a set of novels that have a plan from beginning to end and whatever. Lucas was going to make a movie and then mm-hmm. it became an international smash box office, the first ever blockbuster, and then was left holding the bag of like, yeah. I got to keep going. That's It's a totally yeah. different thing. And anyone who gets all up in arms about what was planned and what wasn't and First of all, you'll never, you'll never know. So shut up, you know, like, and, and second of all, that's just what I just said is just the truth. It's just, there's no other way to to break down the story. Like, yes, he was, he's talked about, like, it would have been cool to make more movies, but it's movie making. It's not book writing. You can get out your computer now or your typewriter back then and just write book all the, uh, you know, you write all day long. There's no production budgets. There's no studio heads. There's no, you can just do what you want to do and flush your story out. The idea of like, if this does well, maybe I'll get to make some more movies is a totally different concept. And so I think in his wildest dreams, he never imagined where he'd be in 1979 compared to 1977. You know what I mean? And had to come up with story quick. So it's, you know, that's one of the reasons for me, it's always so easy to look past some of the like 
inconsistencies and faults and through all of this and just enjoy it because I mean, I've never made a movie myself, but I like them enough to sort of know how they get made, if that makes sense. Do you think there was the same amount of the way that we leverage data pre-screenings where you see this a lot more studio involvement where, you know, oh, the, you know, because you have movies that almost, Ryan, you can probably back me up on this, Adam, you can too, where some of the smaller movies get shopped around and then either they get picked up by a bigger studio, Mm -hmm. some of them completely redone, or some of them are like re-edited, re-shot. And then you have this data pool where people go in and basically do these early screeners and they get asked, oh, well, we liked this character a lot more. So in editing and pickups, like they shift the story to feature that character Mm -hmm. more. You know, how, how much of that do you think would have changed the way that Star Wars would have been shot because that's totally how some movies work now. It's like the studio is putting the story so secondary to whatever the original writer director's vision is. And they're looking at it from like a monetary standpoint, which Lucas was in such a weird position because it was his idea with his own money. And (laughs) obviously it was different back then. He did a version of that with his, his circle of, Directors and writers and friends. Yeah, he did. You know I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's but true. I think, but I think to the point of like, like I just scored a movie and and they went through exactly what you're talking about and what you said literally happened. Like yeah. a certain part of it was completely altered and almost like taken out for th- throughout it because of a focus group kind of stuff, right? Sure. I think the reason Star Wars is star is what it is is because it, it's just. It, it didn't need it. It was just, it was perfect. The first one was perfect. Yeah. You know, the band of, of heroes that he assembled and the actors he chose to play them. I don't think, I don't think there's something laying on the cutting room floor where there's like an hour more of Han Solo footage that didn't make it in the movie. You know what I'm saying? I think, yeah. I think Return of the Jedi, we get the complaint already now and you probably would have got it back then that Han and Leia aren't, aren't in the movie enough. That would have happened. And then they might've been like, oh shit, well, what do we do? And that, then the movie might've sucked because they might've listened to that and, we wouldn't have gotten to spend all that time in the throne room with, with Luke and Vader and Palpatine. And you know what I mean? So I, right, the times right. have changed for sure, but there's also a reason why Star Wars is Star Wars. And it's because those three movies are so good. Right. That's it. And I wonder too, if there's the, obviously the common complaint with the three movies and retroactively JJ has gone back and said, you know, I, I, we didn't really have much of a plan. The studio was kind of letting the writers have their own interpretation of what Star Wars meant to them to be able to plan their own movie, which in theory actually made a lot of sense. But the difference would have been it all came from one person's perspective with maybe some chime in from other people. Yeah. So I can see why it's very easy for people to latch on to the idea that Lucas's original vision, no matter what it was going to be, because you're we're reading some of this stuff and I'm going, eh, maybe, eh, maybe. You know, I can I can see why it would be easy for some people who just hate the sequels no matter what would be like, oh, they should have gone with this and kind of looking at it and going, we kind of did get some of this in Clone Wars. Well, let's let's power through the rest of this uh, Lucas stuff and then we'll talk about some other really wild stuff, especially in episode nine. So like we talked about earlier, this whole thing would spend at least 20 years, it seems like. By the end of the trilogy, Luke would have rebuilt the Jedi Order. Leia is Supreme Chancellor. She ends up, in, in Lucas's words, ends up being the chosen one, which is interesting. Like, what would all of the sequel haters who grew up on the prequels have to say about that if Lucas had written 
you know, written Anakin into a different role, essentially, and, and crowned Leia the Chosen One over Anakin, would that still have ruined their lives like they claimed, <laughs> like they claim the sequels have, you know? <laughs> even though it's not said explicitly that Rey is the Chosen One, even though that's indicated in my opinion, the fact that someone else wrote it, I think, is a huge deal. Because they, they always cite that Lucas's films were bastardized by these other filmmakers, right? What if Lucas had, had made that happen? Would they be singing a different tune right now? You know what I mean? All I know is it would have been faster and more intense. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. you can rely on that. <laughs> Here's some really weird stuff. We'll keep it moving. The Wills. We know of the Wills from the original title of Star Wars, the, uh, the so-and-so of the so-and-so the, as taken from the Journal of the Wills. The right? Starkiller Adventures of the guy with the journal full of Wills. From and the things. place in the sand location. In space. In space. <laughs> in James Cameron's 2018 Story of Science Fiction book, which I need to get. Sounds awesome. Lucas said his trilogy would have focused on the Wills, an ancient life form that fed on the Force. According to Lucas, the Wills essentially are the Force. The midichlorians within Force-sensitive beings communicate directly with the Wills. So they're like a sub-microscopic race of beings that facilitate all of the powers in the galaxy. Lucas uh, was quoted as saying, back in the day, I used to say, ultimately what this means is we're just cars, vehicles for the wills to travel around in. We are vessels for them. Which is how I understand the midichlorians to be. That's exactly what I was going to say, and we don't even need to spend that much time on it. It's just like, it's... um Confusing? I'm trying to think of the film <laughs> reference. I'm, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like unnecessary inception. Yeah. Like the guy behind the guy behind the guy behind the guy, but it's still about the guy. Like Inception, but just redundant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no, nothing cooler at, at the next level down. I, I totally agree with you that that's the explanation of what they are is the explanation of what the thing they're being explained to work with are. <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah. And at some point it's like, who's on first? What's on second? I <laughs> yes. don't know who's on third, yes. you know? And, and I, I'm, I've always just been fine with midichlorians being the thing. Same. All right. It could have been cool. It could have been a complete disaster. What if? I just think what it's a, we're, we're doing a what if here. And, you know, in our normal episodes, as we say, we don't speculate. We only speculate about 30% of the time. We get to do it 100% of the time on, <laughs> on these. It should have been J.J. Abrams' project. Whether he directed two and three, I don't know. But it should have been his project the whole time. Yeah. He should have been responsible for the executive production and the focus and direction of the story all the way through. It was all, I, I'm, I am not a sequel hater. I've, I'm all about it. I'll shut this down tonight and watch it right now. Well, we can hang and have some brews and love it. So much fun. <laughs> love it. Same. But uh, it's not, you're allowed to say, well, how, how, but how cool would it have been or how much cooler would it have been if JJ had not jumped ship? I, it's just, I'll never know. Well, moving on to The Last Jedi. The prequel people love what I just said. They're all like, oh, <laughs> boy. Oh, that's good. Boy, mate. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. The Last Jedi, the only indication of what 
could have happened in The Last Jedi if it was in someone else's hands, we kind of discussed here. The big thing, though, that was indicated in one quote contradicted in another is that George did supposedly have Luke die in episode eight. So that was at least followed through on if that was really what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I didn't do a ton of digging. I didn't do much digging, to be honest. Uh, I focused on seven and nine here, but the deleted scenes in The Last Jedi actually do kind of reshape the story and would have in some ways made it tougher for me to be into in some ways a little better. A couple things here. So there's one deleted scene where BB-8 shows Finn a hologram of Ray kissing his forehead at the end of The Force Awakens, insisting that they'll meet again. And that kind of feeds that that little bit of a, a romance that we got a little bit of, right? And potentially like some conflict. I don't want to say like a, a, tri- a love triangle, but you've got Finn who in The Force Awakens was who, who said something like, you have a boyfriend, cute boyfriend, whatever, when they're in the Falcon, right? Yeah. Kind of fueling that, but then you've got Rose as a part of The Last Jedi. So maybe Ryan Johnson was trying to kind of stir the pot a little bit there with the romance. It's hard to say. But what if Ray and Finn had become a thing? What if also, we talked about this, I think in the Last Jedi episode, what if Finn and Poe had had a romantic relationship, which a lot of people wanted and was, was apparently potentially going to happen, but maybe powers that be thought that was pushing it a little too far for the conservative portion of the Star Wars fan base. Oscar Isaac and John Boyega apparently were fully about that idea and they, they were bummed that that idea wasn't followed through. I don't know. That, that could have been huge. That could have been definitely. I mean, it definitely would have been if, if our, if our pal didn't want, doesn't want to listen to our podcast because of too much politics, we can only imagine what, right. what that would have set off, you know, but I mean, I've been, what do you mean they're gay? I, I, dude, uh, but we've all been, we've talked about uh, on the podcast so much about, you know, being supportive of the, the, that like forward thinking that they, that Star Wars has done striving to be inclusive. Uh, it's like, it's a shame if it didn't happen because they were worried about that kind of backlash. Certainly. Yep. I don't know. I want to believe it was something like it, it just didn't work in the script or they didn't feel like their chemistry was right when they start. you know, I want to believe that, but probably not. It's probably because someone was like, no, mm. we can't because America. Right. So moving on. There's another deleted scene where Luke, after hearing that Han has died, takes a moment to just kind of take it in. He's in that same hut where Chewie kicks down the door. Right. And, it's a scene that I wish was in there. It actually, mm-hmm. it connects in the edit right to Leia doing the same thing uh, when they're in hyperspace, right? She's sitting there, she's holding the dice. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was beautiful. And I feel like if that was in there, that would have made a huge impact on me in terms of how I received the story. But I guess for the sake of pace and um, the arrangement of the edit, it didn't work out. Yeah. That kind of stuff happens just probably so often where... You know, even the director and the right, like where it doesn't work for the edit or whatever, but they're, they're just like, it's like, you know, it's like a song when there's like a, a part yeah. that it's your part. I think we've talked about this yeah. too on the pod. It's like, it's your part, you know, like, I mean, I'm usually surrounded by bass players here. So like, you've got this lick that you, you you've got <laughs> yeah. this lick, but it's like everyone else producer included is like, dude, I'm sorry. It's just stepping on the vocal. You can't, it can't yeah. happen there and you got to let it go. It's sick. It's a sick bit. It's a sick riff, but it just can't happen. Um, but I'll say that like, I mean, that scene probably would have just been absolutely amazing in that sense. Like we would have got more of that. Yeah. 
you know, it's like a, if, if the verse is four bars longer and it really rips at the end of it yep. and like it really builds, it's like, oh, it's so sick, but just get to that second chorus, man. Mm -hmm. That's what happened here. I'm looking through the art of the Last Jedi book as we're talking about this. And, you know, it's really interesting. I encourage everybody to buy these books because you do get to see, I mean, of course, we're talking about scrapped concepts and scenes and deleted scenes and all that. But it really does, in terms of what if, these books are incredible for just seeing production art and pre, you know, conceptual art because it really does change the way when you look at this concept art it completely makes you feel differently about a certain place. Octo originally had a lot more structure built into it. It didn't feel, you know, cause I think when we saw Octo in the, in the, in the actual movie, we really did feel like Luke had literally just pieced out. That yeah. was it. He was gone. He did not want anything to do with anybody anymore. And it just kind of, when all of, when we get to meet him and we get to talk to him and we get to feel more where he's at, the foreword of this book specifically mentions how everyone wanted Luke Skywalker to come back, but all he did was hog the movie because that's how the fandom was, right? And so there was like this balance of trying to figure out where to use Luke and where to to keep Ray at the front of the story too. And it's just interesting when you think about if we would have had longer with that moment of Luke crying over Han and really reflecting on that, it would it have taken us out of the story to be frustrated with where it goes, 100%. you know, because now, all, now, now we're stuck back in the original trilogy, yep. you know, it's the, it's the debate of uh, people, uh, you know, especially sequel haters as we call them. Yeah. It's that question of like, well, what do you want? Like what you, what, what you expect right. this just to be, we're going to watch 65 year old, you know, or um, I don't know. Hey Siri, how old is Mark Hamill? Mark Hamill's 70 years old. We're going to watch 65-year-old Mark Hamill <laughs> run around for two and a half hours, like, wielding a lightsaber, or or are we going to watch 65-year-old Mark Hamill in, like, a pensive, thoughtful Star Wars conversational film where, you know, those are your options, and both are not good to me. Like, right. there's going to be, there has to be new characters, and not only do they have to be new characters, but to carry an entire franchise they have to be the lead characters. There has to be a story about mm -hmm. them. And I, yeah, I, I mean, to Ryan Johnson's credit, to anyone trying to tackle that story, the second you bring Carrie Fisher or Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford on screen, your new characters are freaking irrelevant. They're gone. Yep. They're gone yep. from the film. Yep. And like that had to have been, that just had to have been the hardest thing that we can't even imagine. And we don't consider, and sequel haters don't consider. You don't sit there and think about that. Like, what was this really like in the writer's room? And to be honest, like, I don't think I'm misusing the word. It's kind of like was impossible. It was an impossible thing to make these three movies yeah. like perfect films with these with, with any new characters, whether they were George Lucas's idea or anybody's idea, if you brought the original trilogy characters into the film. That's basically impossible. So yeah. as we always say, enjoy it because it's Star Wars and it's fun to watch and you get to go to Galaxy's Edge now and all these wonderful things are happening in the Star Wars galaxy or just, uh, I want to quote Roy Kent from Ted Lasso, mm -hmm. but it's a family podcast. So, yeah. But it starts with an F, ends with a K, and followed by off. <laughs> yeah. well, here, I'll, I'll just do Arnold Schwarzenegger instead. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? Jerky boys. Dude, Arnold's Pizza Shop is one of the <laughs> most legendary things of all time. The only difference is maybe uh, bullets to be in the gun or maybe to be on the pizza. This is like, these are like early days of the internet. This is yeah, really yeah. aging everybody who, who had a 56K modem and was using 
that slow ass speed to download Jerky Boys. Yep. Prank calls. <laughs> All right, let's move on to episode nine because we could talk forever. Yes. And a reminder, if you just happen to, you know, like skip forward on the podcast or have a short memory, we cover in the fourth ever episode of Think the Maker, we do a very, very in-depth dive of the Colin Trevorrow script that was to be made for episode nine. So if you want to go back and check that out, we're kind of just going to do a sort of broad stroke, like things that would have been different here in this episode. But we had a lot of fun with that one. Shout out to uh, Thank the Maker podcast. <laughs> Thank the Maker. A Star Wars podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of rolls off the tongue. Sometimes. Yeah, it turns out, yeah, they are a Star Wars podcast. That's cool. So Colin Trevorrow, uh, most well-known for Jurassic World as writer and director, well, really, three Jurassic Park movies. That's what he's best known for, right? He originally was going to be the director of Episode Nine. He wrote a script, which was entitled Duel of the Fates. Like Ryan said, we talked about it extensively. It's a dark script. It's, as we were talking, you were, you were telling me, I haven't seen it yet, so no spoilers, but I haven't, as of the airing of this podcast, I have not watched Dune yet for reasons that matter. So I'm not just like <laughs> being lazy, but Adam goes, I was watching this. I was like, this is Ryan's shit. <laughs> when, when we went through that Trevor script, I was like, yeah, this is my shit. <laughs> so <laughs> of all of these, what ifs I, I do, I think my biggest like, uh, is I, I go back and forth because I think I've said multiple times on the podcast, like, yeah, but you know, it's probably too dark. It wasn't star Wars. Like it didn't, but I don't know, man. It, uh, just knowing myself, I think personally I, that mo- I would have been just like drooling over this like gritty Rogue One style. Yeah, d- I I just think I would have loved it. But and we'll get into there's there's one specific d- gritty kind of part that we'll talk about shortly. Yeah. Mike, go ahead. I was gonna say this uh, this would have been pretty dark even by Rogue One standards. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I just sure. think the look of it, the look and feel of it, it would have would have had. Based on what you can tell from from what you can read of it, and just the concept art too, yeah, that it mm-hmm. it, it was not, it, there was not going to be anything with color in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was going to be like the end times kind of like, and then at the, and then at the end, you know, sort of the resistance prevails, but like it was it was real. That's what I love about Rogue One so much is it feels like a, a war film in that like, in that it's, it's very real. There's no cagey humor. There's no like K2SO is so good for comedic relief in that film, but the jokes aren't like corny, you know, it's like, yeah, there, I don't know. It's just that, and I'm not saying Star Wars is corny. You, you know what I'm trying to say. There's right, right. It, right. it was uh, Rogue One, I think is, is the most made for grownups Star Wars film that's ever been made. Right. And this was fully that. And I think that that explains why they went another direction because again, go back and listen to episode four of Thank the Maker. We talk a lot about it. It's, it, this is way, there's some of it's just way too much for like a six or seven year old kid to be like, yeah. stoked on i mean it's there some of it is the stuff of nightmares yeah the la- the last closer was uh ewoks dancing and blowing horns together yeah, yeah. and it was fun yeah. and then this one's like uh kylo ren walks past two giant wolves with blood coming out of their mouths and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah dude the webbish bog you're gonna, you're gonna yeah you're gonna love it 10 year olds this yeah. stuff will terrify you you'll never watch star wars the, again. like giant spider monster on mustafar that like on wouldn't have looked corny it would have been <laughs> like dripping and gooey and scary and nightmarish just yeah. yeah all right so there is an alternate opening crawl so ryan Key, you want to do this one The iron grip of the First Order has spread to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. 
Only a few scattered planets remain unoccupied. Traitorous acts are punishable by death. Determined to suffocate the growing unrest, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren has silenced all communication between neighboring systems. Led by General Leia Organa, the Resistance has planned a secret mission to prevent their annihilation and forge a path to freedom. I have chills yeah. from my toes <laughs> to the top of my head, but also because I know the script and I know the whole like Finn yeah. on Coruscant leading the re- resistance like in these yeah. underground caverns of blown out <laughs> buildings from a time gone by. <sighs> I'm just I'm I'm imagining <laughs> I'm imagining Luke like like the John Williams score, which is like the most like uplifting, da 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 da, right? And then it's like everyone's dead, all your friends are dead, the empire, the galaxy is dead, your friends are dying. I'm like, this is that's that's a tough opening crawl, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's hard. You know, you add in a few, you add in a few more hopeful lines and lose the one about traitorous acts are punishable by death. And that was in the crawl. That was going to be in the crawl. <laughs> and it's pretty much, you know, okay, otherwise. But, dude, that line in the context of all this other stuff, just really, yeah. like, that's the deep, dark, black, yeah. coal-filled cherry on top of the whole thing, you know? Yeah, that's Ryan first in line for the film. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm here to uh, suffocate the growing unrest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there, there are some big differences here. We'll just kind of list these. One... There's a cold open, kind of like Return of the Jedi has this cold open that's the whole Jabba thing, right? Yeah. Ultimately, is other than Han being freed, is just like an inconsequential adventure, right, that we do for 15 minutes, whatever. There's one that is so dope, maybe one of the coolest things I've ever visualized in my head that could happen in Star Wars. Yes, and add to it, just to make sure you add to this, Finn. Finn in this part. Yeah. I don't like what they did with Finn. This yeah. is like, yeah, Finn. Finn and Ray and the crew, they steal a Star Destroyer. This <laughs> yeah. is the cold open. It's probably, I don't remember exactly, but it, it's just as elaborate as any, you know, wild kind of cold open of like, you know, a Bond movie or something like that, where you're right in the heat of the action, like alarms going off, everyone's rushing around, like, and they steal a damn Star Destroyer. Yeah, it would have just been- So sick. Like Ray, Finn and Ray on the, on, I, I guess Poe maybe was with them too, right? But either way, like, yeah, the, on the bridge of the Star Destroyer, mm-hmm. like taking over the controls and figuring out what does what and like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, because, and there you go, like- it, 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 you know, if who knows what the actual lines would have been, but like keeping some of the Star Wars humor in it, that could have been an amazing scene for the three of them. Like, you know, you do that and you do this, and I don't know what that is or what's yeah. this button do kind of thing. You know what I mean? That could have been a great scene, but <laughs> this garbage won't do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you combine Poe and Finn stealing the TIE fighter with Ray and Finn getting the Falcon all that energy together. Yeah. yeah. But it, it seemed like it started off in, in the research we did that, you know, Finn, just from the start, Finn was really important. Yeah. Starting with this mission and then we'll get to it, but off goes off on his own mission then that is like a whole, he's like in charge and running shit. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. Ray also has her own lightsaber from the beginning. She's constructed a new lightsaber of her own. This feels a lot more to me like sort of the the stage of the Jedi training, Jedi progression that we saw Luke in at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. I like the skipping ahead. I yeah. like that. I, I, I like that we wherever we ended up at the end of Last Jedi, we've jumped forward. And I and it goes into the next point you're about to make too, which really defines that. Like, boom, we're in a whole different thing. And 
while the training scene is super cool with Leia, I think that's really special. And obviously that's an, it's a really amazing moment between the two of them. We wouldn't have gotten that. It just would have been, we would just, we just would have moved forward to this time where she's got a little bit of, I mean, everyone in this version of the script has a little bit sharper edge and is a little more jaded and a little more ready to rip. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But she just would, she'd already be there when we start the film. And I, right. I think that's... I think that's pretty hot. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> she's uh she's got a darker look, just like Luke in Return of the Jedi. So she's very much established at the beginning as a Jedi. She is on that path. She's got the darker clothing, but she is a Jedi, no question, right? Kylo's very well established as fully digging his heels in deeper and darker into the dark side. After killing Han, there's just no coming back. That's his character's destiny is to just go down dark you think adam driver maybe was was into that i a little bit guarantee he was into that yeah i do too force ghost luke is haunting kylo ren and teaching ray why why do we have to go through this again we already (laughs) did this one my heart was already broken once i mean we love the movie like that should be said also we loved loved the rise of skywalker yes 100 percent. some of this stuff is just just had so much cool potential yeah, yeah. It's this again. I, I prefaced, I think, by saying that it's not that I don't love what we got, and I just knowing this and knowing myself, I just there's so much of this that I'm like, oh, yes. Why? There's no Palpatine. Instead, there's a character called Tor Valum, who is who? Mike, do you remember? Tor Valum was the. Uh, it's like a depends on. I, I don't know. I'm guess I'm not. The video game's been out for so long, right? It kind of has a character that looks like the um zepho what what was their species ryan oh my gosh patrons help me out it's an alien character um a non-humanoid it's an alien character yeah and, and they they kind of hint their design is kind of like triangular in their shape and they were kind of hinted at in terms of when you get to zepho and fallen order mm-hmm. there's a lot of connections that i think they were going with it was a callback to being a master of Darth Plagueis, I believe, like Tor Valum basically trained Darth Plagueis. So it's going even further that we have kind of chased this idea that the Sith almost kind of end up killing off their masters or they'll constantly backstab each other. But Tor Valum is someone that Kylo goes to speak to and Kylo and Valum get in an argument over where Mortis is. And it's interesting in terms of how we think about the Sith and that there's always been this relationship between master and apprentice and that Tor Valum has been around in Star Wars the whole time and we didn't really know what he was up to. So Mm. it's interesting for sure. Speaking of, of things that tie into other things, Mortis is, I don't know if it's the final location here, but this is where the final duel happens between Rey and Kylo Ren. We know Mortis from, of course, the animated series, the different animated series. But leading up to that, Rey's parents are in fact no one. There's no Raylo romance. There's no redemption for Ben Solo. Rey kills Kylo Ren on Mortis. Dead. Done. Dead. That's heavy. Yeah. I personally, I mean, you know, if this had happened, I wouldn't know of the Rise of Skywalker, but the Raylo thing, at least what we saw in in The Last Jedi meant a lot to me. That was big. And I would have, I'm glad we got the the finale that we got with the two of them. I am too. I am too. But I think given the vibes of where this was going, a lot of thought was going into how this was all going to go down and to not throw out the idea of what happened between them in The Last Jedi, 
I think the final confrontation would have been really, really heavy. Like you were my brother, Anakin style. Like yeah. we, we connected. We all, I could have, I could have saved you. Like, don't go, yeah. you know, which we get a little bit of that. Like, don't go this, don't do this. Don't go yeah. that way, you know, between them. But that this would have been on a whole different level of like her not wanting to kill him and having yeah. to do it to protect herself. What if they did fully tie in the Raylo thing and then she still had to kill him? If it, yeah. if it was as emotionally heavy and romantic as it was in the rise of Skywalker, but she had to kill him and that was it. And he was dead period. That yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think they would yeah. have, they would have found a way to still lean into the fact that they had feelings for each other. I don't yeah. think it just would have been cold open on the fight scene. And he's dead. Not that you're saying that either. I'm right, saying, right. I think it would have, I think it would have been well done just, but, but too dark for anyone but me. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is dark because we've had this idea that, a character redemption is such a big part of Star Wars, right? Like a key part of Star Wars. Yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, it's the idea that like Han Solo just straight up was going to leave those guys to go fight their little war. And then he comes back to be saved, right? Or he bail, you know, he's got a bail on, on Hoth after it's all going to hell. I mean, there's just so many things like redemption is such a big core part of Star Wars. Yeah. And for Kylo to double down on saying some people make decisions that you can never come back from when the concept of his character was good people can make bad decisions and still be redeemed for them. It's a very dark script. It's a very dark script. Yeah. And again, we just keep coming back to this idea that like this does not have the optimism that Star Wars inherently builds in that good will prevail when people, imperfect people work together, you know, and I don't know, this one... Yeah, this, all of that's out the window. I, I agree, Ryan. Yeah. All of that's out the window. It's a, it would have they would have made it for me. That they just would have made it for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm with it. I, I love I love the idea. I love the idea of like just dark as uh, me. I don't know. My gosh, am I am I seeing the world through a, as a jaded adult? <laughs> it's no. happening. It's all happening. Oh my gosh! Wait till you cross forty, dude. It gets darker. <laughs> it gets darker. One. I mean, the sun does literally set. <laughs> so like. <laughs> One thing that is a little bright light of hope in this, though, and this adds to the list of throwback locations, Coruscant and Mustafar are key locations in this script. And on Coruscant, Finn has a major role in this, a much bigger role than he did in episodes eight or nine as we got them. I think Rose would have played into that role, too. Yeah, she would have been been a big part of this whole arc. Finn leads an uprising on Coruscant. So Coruscant post-rise of Palpatine to power just becomes a ghetto, a wasteland, everything below the top levels. It's, it's in ruins. Everyone's just suffering everywhere, right? You can imagine a giant city planet when you put a piece of shit like Palpatine at the top, it's just going to crumble. So Mm -hmm. he leads this uprising and there's this amazing, amazing concept art shot of him doing his, his signature scream at the camera, you know, mouth wide open. Is he like holding a flag in it? Something like that, like or some kind of staff or there, something? There is a flag. There's like a burned First Order flag or... or yeah, a, something like that. Something something in the in the image is just so badass, but dark. And he's... Really dark. He's leading the whole thing. There, there are AT-ATs in the streets behind him. It's this awesome uprising. And that would have been awesome. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> that would have been really awesome. You're not wrong. They could have fully incorporated the Jenna character and everything. They could have done all the same stuff. Mm-hmm. He could have had his own kind of side parallel story on Coruscant, and I think that would have ripped. Yeah, They did bring in some of that to some degree, obviously, with Jenna and 
him sort of leading the charge on the surface of that Star Destroyer on um, Exegol. But I don't know. There's something just about the imagery tying it back to the prequels that is just so compelling to me. Yeah. And the prequel fans would have loved it. They would have shit their pants. They would have loved that. Theater would have been real stinky. Oh, what a f- <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, and we could have said this at the top, Leia plays a much bigger role because this was written, this draft at least, was delivered before Carrie Fisher died. Rest in peace. Actually 11 days before she died. So the biggest what if, I think, of all of this is if she had not died, how would this script have progressed? Would would they have, as I keep saying, thrown the old man a bone? Yeah. With the whole concept of Leia being the chosen one in yeah. the end. He's on record saying it, and now we have the opportunity to give that to him. Would they have kept Trevorrow on? Would he still have been booted? But, you know, with Carrie Fisher available to do literally whatever they needed her to do, would we have gotten it? I mean, obviously, we, we would have gotten a, a drastically different story. God, dude, I don't... It's just... It's, an, it's a truly unanswerable question because mm-hmm. Carrie was gone and everything had to change. Look, I know that it's cool that private companies are exploring space they have so much money that it just doesn't matter. Just whatever. Yes, sir, but this rocket costs this much to make. I don't care. Just make it. <laughs> what if just one of those guys would be like, you know what? Okay, let's, let's make that movie. Just We don't have to put it in theaters or anything. Let's just make it. You can buy it. You, you know, $20, yeah. you can buy it, watch it at home. <laughs> yeah. The, you know? Because I'm, I'm nearly a trillionaire, so I'll just make I'll make this for fun. Spend a few billion on this movie and the, the subsequent lawsuit with Lucasfilm just because yeah. I just want to see this. Yeah, Who cares? Yeah, That's what I would do. This is the, the worst part about uber-rich people is that they're boring. If I had all the money in the world, I would be funding this stuff like crazy. I would make a public stink. I would challenge yeah, it, dude. Disney in a public forum. If you didn't release it, if you didn't release it, like wide release it in theaters, it was like just something you did that you could go to a website and pay 20 bucks to get or whatever. Uh, it's an NFT. You could, that lawsuit, if you're one of the people I'm talking about, you could just, you could afford the lawsuit. No problem. Like, yeah. Tell my lawyers to tell them they didn't know we couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm sorry. If I was a billionaire, I'd be making $100 million fan films on the reg. That's what I'm talking about. On the that's, reg, That's dude. exactly what I'm talking about. Like, it's like it's a fan film. But it's, it's free. Free to view. You know what? You know what? My, my quote is it's so relevant <laughs> to what we're talking about. Yeah, it's great. So before we get into that quote, any final thoughts? I mean, we could do a full episode on the what if if Carrie Fisher had not died and this had progressed. Mm-hmm. But we won't. No, but our next installment in this type of episode is going to be fun. The George making it up as he went along kind of episode, that's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I feel like and what people are going to take away from this hopefully should be that it's completely okay to talk about the what if. It's really fun to speculate over what ideas didn't make it through, what ideas did make it through. But at the end of the day, none of us as fans who watched it and absorb this content. We're not there. We haven't done this part of our career to get to the point where you can do it. And I always have to remind myself, even though sometimes it's fun for us all to play in this sandbox, if we were great writers or we were great decision makers in regards to one of the largest franchises on the planet, there were compromises that had to be made. There were really hard decisions that had to be made to get us to where we got. And sometimes, I hate to say it for people who don't have a boss, but everybody's got a boss, right? And if you're J.J. Abrams and you have, at the time, Bob Iger breathing down your neck, 
And we've learned some of that, that there were some people in the business sense of this all. Because again, this isn't all just a love affair of, oh, we get to just do this stuff. No, the intention is to make money, tell great stories, but also make a ton of money on this stuff, right? You have a boss that's breathing down your neck. You have this tragedy of Carrie Fisher passing away. Don't interpret us coming up with what-if scenarios as a way of saying, oh, I wish we could go back and retroactively change all this stuff and like right, right. join these stupid campaigns for people to be like, oh, we're going to pay someone to rewrite the the sequel trilogy. You weren't there. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably weren't in the writing room. <laughs> Shut up. And if you were and, and you're listening to this podcast, we would love to have you on as a guest. Yeah. So please yeah. contact what us via Instagram for? at ThankTheMakerPod. Man. Slide into our DMs, please. <laughs> but I just think I just think it's so important to maintain the focus that if some people call this a stumbling point for Star Wars, I think all it's going to do is I cannot wait for us to go back 10 years from now and listen to these episodes. And maybe at Celebration, they'll be cheering just as loud for The Force Awakens as they did for The Phantom Menace in 2019. 100%. 100%. Right? Somebody, I forgot who tweeted it, but... We follow a handful of all love, all happiness, sequels, and, and all Twitter accounts that are actually like really active and very vocal on Twitter. It's a nice place if you're, if you're you know, listening to the right people. Somebody posted something that was like four photos of, it was two photos of little kids hugging the Ray character in Galaxy's Edge, whoever yeah. the actors are who are playing her, and then two shots of Ray from the movies. And it said something like, you know, in 10 years when they're adults the love will be as strong and all the hate will go away. Yeah. It's going to happen. Like, yeah. Fact. Yeah, for sure. Because grumpy dudes our age, they'll be way outnumbered by people who grew up now with these. Yeah. Just like they grew up, you know, we grew up with the OT and the salty people that are a little younger than us that grew up with the prequel trilogy. Like, it is a cycle and it's going to change. And I'm happy for young people that experienced these movies because it's freaking Star Wars. And yeah, they go there and they see Ray and it's, it would be, imagine you were one of the three of us going to a place like that when we were seven years old and Dude. just seeing Luke, you know, like, come <laughs> on. And, and so I think there's true magic in that. And I think, I think you're absolutely right because people going to celebration in 10 years will be, you know, they'll, they'll be older. They, they'll cheer for that film because that's their film now. And now they're old enough to travel and go with their friends to celebration. Like that's, that's why that happened for the Phantom Menace. Yeah. And ultimately their Star Wars is as important and as valid and as valuable as our Star Wars. If you, if you want to look at it in that sense, you know, there's nothing less pure about each generation's trilogy. Agreed. hundred percent. Who knows what it's all going to be like once we were, we're sort of past the Skywalker saga fully and, kids find star wars through whatever series is on disney plus or whatever who knows um, clearly there's going to be a whole generation of kids who go whose first time in theater to see star wars is whatever high republic movie we get mm -hmm. like the acolyte will be the first movie for some kid and there's going to be toxicity but each generation's experience is just as valid is my main point here and the other thing too to consider is if we don't steward and we're we're just one tiny, tiny, tiny part in the Star Wars fandom, right? But if we don't steward hope and excitement and reverence for this franchise, we don't get more Star Wars. We 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 are lucky that we're getting 
the Star Wars machine is continually getting oiled and getting yeah. fed, right? And if our franchise blocked off any new people to be a part of it, that's how your franchise dies. No studio wants to pick mm-hmm. that up. No studio wants to put into streaming content. So that's it's a good reminder when you listen to this and think, oh, what could have been? You know what? Star Wars content has never been better right now. And you could look over the past 10 years of the Star Wars content that we got and say, yeah, there were a couple of movies that I didn't personally love. And I'll die on this hill. The last three movies had some of the most memorable individual scenes, art direction, overall, like stylistically, with some of the coolest stuff we've seen in Star Wars. 100%. I'm, I'm, 100%. I'm picking up the standard as you fall and carrying it the rest of the way up the hill. So don't right. worry. I'm on the hill with you. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I feel like that's a, a, an important point to make is that is, is speculation. What if is always fun and sure there are nuggets of stuff that, oh yeah, bummed we didn't get that, but we have plenty of Star Wars to satisfy whatever itch was not scratched in one or two parts of these movies. Agreed. Well, Ryan Key, let's wrap this up with a quote of the week. I know you got a good one. Yeah. Since we're talking about the sequel trilogy, we opened with George and some of his thoughts about it. Interesting quote from him. But also shows just kind of how humble he is. And you can read about how selling to Disney, like Google, like, what was it, the right decision? Does he regret it or does it, whatever. And all he talks about is like he did it for his family and he did it for the right reasons. And he believes that to this day. And, you know, that's he stands by it. Dies on the hill, as we say. So here's a quote from George Lucas himself. Quote, I've spent my life creating Star Wars 40 years and giving it up was very, very painful. But it was the right thing to do. I thought I was going to have a little bit more say about the next three because I'd already started them, but they decided they wanted to do something else. Things don't always work out the way you want. Life is like that. End quote. Mom always said life is like a box of chocolates. (laughs) It do be like that. (laughs) You never know what kind of sequel trilogy you're going to (laughs) get. George, we love you. Uh, The museum. What What about the Lucas? Oh, he's building a museum. Yeah. In San Francisco, right? Or no. In L.A. L.A., yeah. And the outside of it is incredible. Yeah. It looks like a freaking starship. It's awesome. Yeah. It's, there's like drone footage of it under construction right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. It's huge. It will be really cool to see that when it's up. And I'm sure there will be all kinds of amazingness happening. Is so, it history of cinema or history of sci-fi? Or what? Or uh, It's called the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. Sick. And it is a cool looking building. Hey, we're going to that on opening weekend and we're going to cover that shit. Let's do it. All right. Patrons, again, thank you so much. Patrons at the Jedi Council tier listening with us right now. Thank you a trillion. We love you 3000 to cross the streams. These patrons, by the way, not only for their $30 a month, get to hang out with us while we're recording this, but they also get an exclusive Thank the Maker t-shirt, which I think they probably all, most of them have by now. You can do that. Patreon.com slash ThankTheMakerPod is where you go if you want those things. You can also join for as little as three bucks a month. And honestly, three bucks a month, you become part of the community. You help us out. You're hanging out in the Discord with us. We're doing fun things. We pay the bills by making a podcast. Everybody wins. It's all good. Three bucks a month. I spent $3 on a vending machine the other day. A vending machine. It was stupid, crappy food. I'd rather give that to a podcast that I like. You could be like that. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod. You can follow us on Twitter at ThankTheMaker. All of my stuff is at Adam the Skull. Mine is at William Ryan Key. And you can find me on our sister station, 
Armor Party Show, which is a costuming podcast where we're doing all different deep dives into not only characters and cosplay that we see from the the movies, but also we're preparing bounds for the upcoming Galactic Star Cruiser that we're going on. So give our latest episode a listen with Brian Cook, Sith and Aneasy, and he goes about talking about how his family gets into cosplay, and it's a really cool episode to get you inspired to maybe become part of Star Wars through costuming. So you can find us at Armor Party Show and me personally at Honda Supply. If you want to thank their maker merch, we also have that. That also helps pay the bills. I think Nick uh, sent me like $19 via Apple Pay yesterday <laughs> because we sold, sold like four shirts. If you want to buy those shirts, thankthemakermerch.com is where you go to find those. We're going to have some more stuff. We need hoodies because it's getting colder. Agreed. So we're probably, probably going to do that soon. And you should follow Nick, speaking of Nick, at Nick Bayside on all things. He's also got a podcast called The Radio Radio Show. It's a music podcast. It's only on Spotify because of music, because of stuff. But search Spotify for The Radio Radio Show. It's dope. Patrons, again, thank you for being here. Dudes, good hanging out. Everyone, thanks for listening. And until next time, may the force be with you. 